May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. I am a morning person. I've always been a morning person. Sleeping in for me is never much later than about 6 a.m. During these many months of church at home, despite the opportunity I have to get up later, to take longer, to get ready for church, to have a second cup of coffee before I leave the house, I still find myself here much earlier than necessary to get ready for worship. I appreciate having time to complete my tasks, which have become a routine that, depending on the season, have included uncovering the altar, watering and placing the flowers or greenery and vases, filling candles with oil, setting the gospel book, filling water glasses, and updating the hymn board with the information on the current day and the church year and the assigned hymn numbers. Once these things are done, I usually have some time before the arrival of the others who make church at home possible. This solitary time has presented me with the opportunity to prayerfully walk around the church property, noticing things that often missed my attention or that I took for granted during busier times. Every Sunday, without fail, I am struck by how very quiet it is. The silence provides a peaceful environment in which to be still and to pray, but it also brings grief as I think about the many people who aren't in the building and who haven't been for a very long time. I miss the laughter, the buzz of conversations, the children running in the halls. I miss catching up with Altar Guild members as we prepare for worship. I miss helping acolytes and Eucharistic ministers find a robe that fits and chatting with the bell ringer as they wait for their cue to ring the bell to start worship. The emptiness at times has been oppressive to the point where my super introverted self, who considers pre and post worship time talking and surface hall to be the most anxiety difficult, anxiety filled difficult portion of Sunday mornings, well, I can't wait for the chance to be uncomfortable like that again. I've developed a Sunday morning routine during this quiet time of reading through the whole service for the day and then walking around the property, paying attention to what I see, and finally taking a photo of something that catches my attention that I then post on Instagram and Facebook, captioned with particular words from the service that for me connect with the picture. I initially started doing this as a small attempt to provide people who are absent with some connection to the church by sharing familiar or possibly unfamiliar images of the place. Over the past many weeks, I have shared photos from inside and outside of the building, images of things that I have seen over and over again for many years, along with views of items I never noticed before. What these photos have had in common, with the exception of a couple of Sundays ago, is that they all show things that are beautiful, comfortable, and reassuring. Two Sundays ago was the day it seemed like the rain was never going to end. Unlike the usual quiet of the nave, at times it was almost difficult to hear anything else other than the rain beating down on the roof. 
On my drive to church, the retention areas were already filling with water and there was ponding on the roadway with much more rain in the forecast. After I finished making preparations for worship, I walked around the church property. And when I got to the glass doors facing State Street, I noticed two shopping carts pulled under the covered walkway. The owners of the carts had stepped away somewhere so that there were only these two carts, each filled to overflowing with supplies needed by people who were living without permanent shelter and who had found a protected spot for their carts out of the heavy rain. I took a picture of one of these carts, partly because I was having trouble finding something that morning that I hadn't previously included in a photo, and partly because I was fascinated by the precision and ingenuity of the person who had organized the cart. The cart was loaded down, most likely with everything this person had, and it was neatly and expertly wrapped with a blue tarp that looked like it would do an excellent job of keeping all the items in the cart completely dry. On a day like that particular Sunday, keeping things dry would be an impressive, vital accomplishment. After I took the photo, I intended to use it for my regular Sunday social media post, but I hesitated for quite a while about sharing it. This wasn't a picture of something obviously beautiful. Despite the creativity shown in the photo, there's nothing comforting about seeing evidence of someone living at the mercy of the elements whose only shelter from torrential rain is a blue tarp and an open breezeway. There is little reassurance in being reminded of how too many people in our communities are vulnerable and shouldering difficulties that can seem insurmountable. For a few minutes, I considered trying to track down something else I could show a prettier image to share. Ultimately, I did post this photo, but frankly, I felt a little cowardly about how much I wrestled with sharing it. It would have been much easier to share a picture of something that would cheer up all of us who are so very tired of the sacrifices and losses we have experienced during this pandemic. I didn't particularly want to bring up the reality that as excited as we are to be moving ever closer to returning to church in person, we are still being called to notice the darkness and brokenness that is literally at our doorstep. Haven't we all carried enough struggle and sacrifice over these last many months that we have earned the right to focus our attention on taking care of our own needs? healing our own personal hurts and disappointments without being expected to worry about anything else. After listening to scripture this morning about the ways God calls us to look and to see, the short answer is no. We cannot simply ignore the darkness in our quest to capture the light. The Israelites in our story from Numbers have been on a long journey in the wilderness after being freed from slavery in Egypt. Prior to our tale picking up today, the interactions between the Israelites, Moses, and God have been filled with a series of Israelites' complaints to the, to the Lord and to Moses about the terrible conditions they suffer as a result of their deliverance from Egypt. Each time after the Israelites' gripe, the Lord, through Moses, provides the Israelites with some form of what they say they need. In today's story, however, the Lord responds differently. 
Instead of again being provided with the things they demand, the Israelites end up with a camp filled with poisonous serpents that bite and kill many of the people. Recognizing that their self-centered grumbling has brought about death instead of healing, the Israelites ask Moses to pray to God to take the serpents away. After Moses prays, God does offer relief to the Israelites, but not by removing the serpents. Instead, by doing something that seems pretty strange to me, at the Lord's instruction, Moses makes a poisonous serpent and sets it on a pole with a promise that any Israelite who is bitten by the serpent will live as long as they look up to the serpent on the pole. Now, I don't claim to have anywhere close to a complete understanding of this story. But I think it's important to notice that the death and destruction that has entered the community as a result of the impatience and faithlessness of the Israelites, the source of death does not disappear. Instead, God offers life in the midst of things that can kill. And God offers this by having the people look directly not at something comforting or pretty, but at the very image of destruction with faith that God's healing power will work even in death to bring about new life. This is what Jesus points to when he says in John that the Son of Man must be lifted up in the same way. This seems very clearly to point towards Jesus' ultimate crucifixion when he will be lifted high on the cross for all to see. Once again, those searching for life and wholeness are not told to look upon something pleasant or easy or calming. We are shown that abundant life comes out of looking directly at the deadly consequences of the sinfulness of the world, not with hopelessness or despair, but with the knowledge of and trust in God's life-giving power working through it all. This is an important reason why the church chooses not to rush into the beauty and light of Easter, but instead sets aside time for us to walk in the wilderness of Lent and the death on the cross of Good Friday before celebrating the joy of Christ's resurrection, the great life that comes out of pain and death. Through this last year, we have had so many opportunities to see death and strife disappointment and despair all around. What have we chosen to see? And what have we turned our eyes away from, preferring to look at something prettier, not wanting to get drawn into uncomfortably dark places? I'm sure your prayers, like mine, have included plenty of pleas for all that is wrong to just be taken away. What we are given today, however, is an invitation to something different. Not an invitation to close our eyes to the darkness, brokenness, and pain, nor a promise that the burdens will simply disappear. But we are given an invitation to look directly at the destructive situations and harmful conditions in our lives and in our world with the trust that even where death and despair seem to have a permanent hold, the great love of God is active, bringing abundant life to those who believe. May each of us keep our eyes open to seeing God's work everywhere in the world around us. 
And may this seeing and believing lead to new life for all creation. Wilderness and death always come before renewed life. But by God's grace, that resurrection does come. Thanks be to God. Amen.